All right, we'll go on here uh, to our, our service, uh, the message this morning. And we've been in a study called A Life of Faith. It is a series on Abraham as a topical series uh, out of the book of Genesis. And we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And we've been looking at it at, from the perspective of how really God honored Abraham in that he was a man that his life direction was one of trust, one of faith. And he trusted the Lord in spite of all the, the things of his day that were against him, uh, uh, despite the, the times when he was against himself. And he made some bad decisions in his life. We looked at that. And we looked also as uh, we see how uh, God was honored. And again, I think it's something we can come to today and we can model our own life sort of after these people were to really look at them now obviously modeling our life after them in the areas of faith and righteousness and learning in those times where they fell short and sinned and saying I'm not going to go that way and I think as I've gone through this study afresh in the last uh, weeks or months now it has been a good study for me and it has been something that it just helps me say hey listen I'm in a different part of my life in that uh I don't, I don't know if I'm past middle age or not, but I'm in those middle years anyways, hopefully. Got a few more years left. Maybe don't. We don't really know how many years ahead of us here on this earth. But I do say, Lord, if you were to give me um, an, another 30 years, 20 years, whatever it is, Lord, may I follow you and be an example to those behind me that I was a man of faith. Uh, because what we leave behind does influence that next generation. And so we see that with, with Abraham. <clears throat> We come to Genesis chapter 22, and this is one of the, I think, the pinnacle stories in the Bible. Uh, not only because it takes place on a mountain, but really because it takes place in uh, the, the planning of God, and it demonstrates to us a far greater heart, uh, not just the heart of Abraham, but the heart of God, and what God is really like. And Genesis chapter 22 is one of those chapters that is a big piece in God's story as he laid it out to, to man in the Bible. And we're going to pick it up reading in Genesis 22, verse 1. And this is one of the more familiar, probably, texts in the life of Abraham. But it is something that I, when I first read this as a new believer, not understanding, I said, why would a God do this and call someone to do this? But we're going to talk about that today. Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things... The God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. <clears throat> so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. 
Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God, we come before you opening up your book this morning again, thanking you for the Bible, thanking you for your revelation you've given to us and the way you even gave it out in these accounts, even through the life of a man named Abraham. And we pray even today, Lord, you would help us to understand and to know uh, your heart and to know that you were the one who spared not your own son so that we might be saved. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this faith on the mountain, and it's really the mountain of surrender. There are a lot of mountains in sort of figurative sense, too, in our lives, right, where we have these mountaintop experiences. I thought of that today um, in the sense that in recent days, anyways, we've had several uh, in our families that have graduated from high school or the, from college or for those things. Those are always big events. And then June is traditionally known as a month where there's a lot of marriages, right? Uh, and that goes on throughout the summer. Those are mountaintop experiences and those things. And then there are our valley experiences. And I think last time we met, we talked about the hills and the valleys, right? And there were lots of hills and lots of valleys in Abraham's life. But it was something, when you come to this account... This mountain that God calls him to go to was probably the, one of the most difficult places that could ever, you could ever trust God on. And yet we find Abraham, he passes the test of God. And that's exactly how this starts off. It says, now it came to pass after these things. Now, what things? Well, in the previous chapter, we were there last time and we looked and we see where there was trouble in the household, right? There was uh, Hagar. Uh, who had had a son by Abraham, and that was in the planning of really human plans, which weren't right, and it caused problems in that household, and Ishmael was born, and later uh, Sarah, who God said would have the son of promise, Isaac, she conceives and, and, uh, and has Isaac, but there's trouble in the house, right? Trouble between Hagar and Sarah, and they have to, well cast Hagar out of the house with Ishmael. Very difficult time for Abraham, but we learned last week that that was also a picture of how the law, which was represented really in Hagar, and how the law brings slavery and bondage, 
And where we're free from the law in grace, again, that brings that freedom. And there's a picture of the gospel that's actually seen in that. And I say this, and we didn't cover this, but in the end of that previous chapter, you have the provision, or in that chapter, you have the provision of Hagar. As she leaves, she gets lost in the desert country, and she fears for her life and her son's life, and they give up. And yet God provides for them. And again, showing he's a great God of grace. And he does that. And his eye was on them. And he was true to his word also. That he would make great nation out of Ishmael. Uh, and, and God would do that. Well, we come to this chapter, though. That's after those things. After that trouble. And that was quite a test. Uh, I would say that would test anybody. Um, and Abraham passed that test. And I sometimes think this way. I think, well, God has these tests for us. And they're... They're tests to see where we are with our faith, with our trust. And uh, there are those kind of things that you've been called to do sometimes that, you know, require trust in people. Um, I remember one summer at camp, we did a teen camp. This was downstate. And we did these trust kind of sports and activities and all that. And one of them was there was a little railing and we had the one of the teens stand up on the railing and then we would place about maybe... Uh, three or four well probably six people total behind them they would be looking this way and then we would ask them to fall into the arms of those six people holding would, would they had their arms locked and I'll tell you why that's a hard thing to do I don't think any of us would want to do that and it's not hard to fl- it's very hard to fl- you know you, you don't want to flinch you feel like you're falling and land on the ground but we had told them you know you guys that are going to catch these people, you don't catch them, they're going to get hurt. And obviously they weren't going to let them fall. And they had seen it done several times with others. But then when that person would get up and then fall into the arms of those people and they don't see where they're falling, I tell you, it was very unnerving. But it built trust. And it was a test. Some of us can pass those tests, sometimes not. And it's kind of like this. I think, well, I passed a test, Lord. Maybe you can just leave me alone for a while. That's not the way it works. He often will want us to, to do more in the sense of faith and trust because he's glorified more when we trust him more. And so he's always stretching us. And that's the process of a believer's life. He stretches us in faith, sometimes through very difficult things, sometimes in other areas, but it is most often through trials. And sometimes he calls us into a situation where we really don't know the outcome, but if you know God, you know you're okay. And that's the situation Isaac and Abraham and, and Abraham's wife as well, Sarah, they find themselves in when this opens up. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Here I am. Now, there are three things in this testing that are show up in our text this morning. And if you like outlines, this is the outline. But the first thing is this, that it involved divine perception. Uh, it, it took a, a person, Abraham, to be able to realize that God was calling him and God was instructing him and God was in, in this thing. Not everybody has divine perception. I think most people would like to think they do. You know, you talk to people, they aren't particularly 
you know, people of faith. They aren't going, they aren't Christians. They aren't going anywhere to a church or anything like that. And uh, sometimes they're superstitious. Well, I just don't feel like there's something right about this. Or my gut tells me something else. And, and they seem to say, well, you know, it seems like something out there is telling me that I shouldn't do this or should do this. Well, there's that kind of perceptions that we go with. I would say a lot of times they're wrong. If you're just going to go with your gut feelings on things, you're going to get in trouble because you might just have eaten too much spicy pizza and, and that is what's going on, not just you know some, the, some divine uh, person trying to get a hold of you, right? Those kind of things. Well, the Bible, God made himself very clear. And we come to this stage of Abraham's life. And remember, he is an old man now. Um, Isaac is, has been born. Uh, years have gone by. He's now a lad, most likely, maybe some say up to age 12 in that range. And here he is um, with his father. And Abraham has been walking decades with the Lord. Not a perfect walk. We know that. But a walk that has been with the Lord. And God has honored that in Abraham's life. And now he comes to this part of his life when you think you've graduated and all that's behind you. And he says, I'm going to really test you now, Abraham. But he was ready. He had this divine perception. He understood that God was calling him to do something. And that's indicated here when it says, here I am. Way back there in Genesis chapter 12, we discovered that Abraham first listened to the one true God in the midst of a culture that was filled with with all kinds of other false gods. He came out of a world of idolatry and paganism and polytheism, all of those things in the ancient world, in Ur of the Chaldees. And the one true God revealed himself to a man named Abram, and he followed the one true God. Genesis 12, we started this series in this text. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed So Abraham, or Abram, departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We find out he first had that divine perception when God called him out of the land of his ancestry to follow after him. Genesis 15, we discover here, he, he believes the Lord, and it actually says what took place in his life. It says he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He had divine perception to realize that he needed to trust the Lord for salvation. And what's that all about? Well, we'll talk about that this morning as well. But, you see, we need to know that we are followers. Part of the aspect of trust and faith is trusting the Lord to be saved from our sin. The consequence of sin is death and separation from God in hell, and that's the eternal consequence of sin. But God has made a way that we might be given His righteousness, not our sin, our sins taken away. And we sang that song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Right? And having the sin taken away and God's righteousness placed on our account. That's what took place in Genesis 15. He, 
Abraham believed God. And through that faith and action of belief, God credited his account. That's what that word means there. And later it's expounded on in the book of Romans. And it says, accounted it to him for righteousness. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for righteousness? See, that's where it is. Salvation. It also involved uh, a readiness. A readiness of mind. You see, when... Abraham is tested and he comes to this great test where God says, I want you to take your only son, the son you love, and I want you to take him up and you're going to offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham had sacrificed before. He had sacrificed, according to God's plan, animal sacrifices, burnt offerings. That's what that was. And Abraham knew when God said that, that always meant something had to die. And it's one thing for a lamb, to take a lamb and to slay that lamb and offer it to, to God. And by the way, it was a picture of a gospel, a picture that someday God would send his own lamb. Not a lamb that temporarily, you know, uh, didn't really temporarily remove sin, never removed sin, those lambs. But the lamb of God, Jesus himself, would permanently remove sin by his sacrifice. These were all just pictures of a greater sacrifice to come. And Abraham, think of his mind. He hears God saying, I want you to sacrifice your only son. He knew immediately what God meant. God meant that I have to take my son and he has to die. You can imagine the grief and the heartache and the feelings that would have hit him at that very moment. And yet his mind was ready to receive that instruction. It was ready at that very moment. God had prepared him. He had walked decades with the Lord and he knew this God could be trusted If God told him back there in Genesis chapter 12, when he was 75 years old, that somehow he was going to make a great nation out of him, and had promised him later on that his wife would bear a son, Sarah would have a son, somehow God was going to bring seed out of Isaac. And descendants would come from him. So God must know what he's doing. That's how he looked at it. By the way, the word of God, when it comes to you, it, does it find a heart that is in a mind that is ready to receive it? I think of that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, you have the account of Paul's missionary journey. The apostle Paul goes to a place called Thessalonica. And there at Thessalonica, he's in the synagogue for three weeks. And he is, the Bible says, opening and alleging, or he's, he's proving that Christ is the one. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And there were people there that were debating that. Uh, they were doing that. And there was a group of unbelieving Jews that came to that area. They were in that area. They lived there. And here Paul, a converted Jew, uh, he, he's testifying to them. And they cause a riot. All right? Sometimes people's reaction to the truth is not good. And they assault the house of a man named Jason. And Paul has to get out of Thessalonica because people there weren't ready to hear the truth of God. He comes to a, very, a smaller place just on the very next part of his journey, a place called Berea. And it's there in Berea that there was a group of Jews that were of a ready mind. That's what it says in Acts chapter 17 verse 11. These 
were more, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I like those kind of people. You know, they had a mind that was ready. Ground was, was ready to have some fruit, you know, spring up out of it. This time of year, we're all planting gardens, right? I'm trying to. It keeps raining every time I go out there. Uh, it's my fault that it rains, just so you know. Uh, but uh, I think of that because, you know, with some seed, it needs a certain temperature before they'll germinate, right? And it certainly needs a certain amount of moisture. And, it, and if you get that just not in the right timing or the weather doesn't cooperate, things like that, you have a bunch of seed that doesn't sprout. But when everything's just right, right? everything's ready then that bears forth fruit and the mind is no different abraham had a mind that was ready for the test that god had for him do you have that kind of mind well it involved revelation also you see abraham didn't have a bible you say what he didn't have a bible no the bible hadn't been compiled yet moses would come along after abraham 400 years later and he would compile the books of Moses which included Genesis all right so any form of what we would say the written bible wasn't even in play yet but he still had the revelation of God in this case it was direct revelation God would speak to him and tell him and he understood God and he listened for God's voice and he was ready Genesis 22:2 says then he said this is God saying Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Revelation. By the way, notice how God commands and defines his command. He says, take now your son. Your son. That brings it home, doesn't it? personally it's one thing and I, I have thought about that in the position of leaders in our in our world or a president for example when at a time of war you have to send people off into battle and uh, even in some of your generations you had a draft I think of their Vietnam vets that are here and when you hit high school graduation and I've talked to some of you you knew what was ahead. you were going to war some volunteered, some were drafted, they went to war. And that could come again. In our country, they, they want you to register for a draft when you turn 18. It's one thing for a president to say, I need to send 30,000 troops into battle. It's another thing for a president to say, I'm sending my son into battle. For Abraham, it was even worse. God was saying, I want you to take your son. By the way, Abraham, I've watched you and I know your heart. And you love your son. And I want you to take your only son. Everything in your whole future, everything hinges on that son. And I want you to take him and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. I can only imagine the consternation of heart that Abraham went through in that very moment when that took place. But he knew he had to trust God. By the way, if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord, you've got to learn to trust Him. And you've got to trust Him beyond this life and the value of this life. 
I am so thankful we had a chance to pray with our grads today. And I, I don't take that lightly because I'm standing here today with a son that's graduated. And I think of my son. I'm, you, they tell you in homiletics class, don't use your family as illustrations. I didn't listen to that class. Sorry about that. I get myself in trouble every time. But listen, I, I say this importantly. I want my son to be successful in life as any father would. But I want him to follow God more. And God will bless in success spiritually. And we measure success differently sometimes in this world, don't we? Somebody's got all the toys and the big house and the nice shiny car in the yard and the solid paycheck that's coming week after week after week. And we think, there, they're successful. And yet, you can lose your own soul. And my friends, we need... We certainly want material success for those that we propel into the future, you know, our descendants. But I say this, I would much rather see my child, my children as adults going off serving the Lord and even suffering if need be because of that choice than to have the comforts of life and have sin reign in their family or whatever else. And I, I just... That's my desire. It's not easy, though. It's not easy. Preparations. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord, you've got to count the cost. Jesus put it this way, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We use that term sometimes to bear a cross. We say that lightly, I think. And I think well-meaning. I'm not criticizing if you've used that. There are people that say, well, <clears throat> that's my cross to bear. And it's, it's a, usually something that you know, refers to some struggle or a trial or a great burden in their life. But the cross represents so much more than that. Yes, it is a trial and a burden and everything. It represented death. Do you realize nobody ever survived a Roman crucifixion? It wasn't just a time of suffering. It was a time of suffering and then death. And when Jesus says that... If you want to be his disciple, that you have to take up the cross, that means I am willing to die to myself. I'm willing to die to those closest to me. He says previous to that about his father, or if a person loves his father and his mother more, or his family more than me, he's not worthy of me. He said, Well, God's against family? God's against loving people? No. He points it out in Isaac's life, in Abraham's life. He says, you love your son. He knew that. But listen, if you want to follow Christ, you have to come to the end of self and the end of the, the, the connections of this life that we sometimes hold far more important than the Lord. By the way, they're not necessarily exclusive. I think you can have great affectionate love for a family and still love the Lord. That's the way he wants it. But to make sure those are in the right priority. Always. Take now your son. Your only son. By the way, you have here the, uh, the command. And I, you know, it's interesting because God tells him what he's to do. But he doesn't give the why. Wouldn't it be great if God just told us why this is happening in our life at the time? I mean, seriously, I've said that. 
I've said sometimes to God in my prayers, why, Lord? Why would, this, why would you do this? <laughs> Blame him. And, and God's not scared about our blaming him. He's a big God. He can handle our blaming. Um, be careful with that. But I just say, God will handle your doubts, and he will handle your blaming, and your questions, and those kind of prayers. And I'm thankful he's gracious enough and merciful enough. He doesn't zap me when I lack faith, right? He says, I'm testing you. And you don't know the why a lot of times. And that, that, is, that is true. We just don't. Sometimes it just comes down to, I have to rest in the fact I live in a sin-cursed earth. And I have, uh, we, we live with that in our mortal bodies. And in the product of a sin-cursed earth, you're going to have bad things happen to good people. And bad things happen. Sometimes personally. <clears throat> but in this case, it's so, so much tougher God says, I'm going to do this, or I want you to do this, and test you with this. And Abraham, I'm sure there would have been a question mark there. Why? But we don't know the why. It doesn't say. God didn't explain it, and he doesn't have to. God is the God of all creation. He's the master of all, and he can wrap everything right up if he wanted to do that. But yet he has a plan, and he includes us in the plan. And he wants us to be part of it, not just like little pawns on a on a chessboard he, he he actually has a plan and he wants us to exercise our will in the midst of his divine sovereignty romans 8 28 verse a lot of people commit to memory but it's no it's so true it's so true and we know that all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are the called according to his purpose all things work together I think when we get to heaven, if you're a believer, and, and perhaps we don't, won't be so focused on these things that we go through now, but we will look back to see exactly where God orchestrated things in our life to get us to the place where we are today, in, or in that moment, how he worked that all out for us. Secondly, it involved divine perception, but it involved human preparation. And that goes with that, that part of this. When God created man, all right, he created us with a will. He created us with a will that was a will that could exercise it to God to say, Lord, I believe and I worship you and I trust you. He's always wanted faith, by the way. Even in, before sin entered into the world, he wanted Adam and Eve to just trust him. I believe that's exactly why he said you can eat of any fruit of the tree of the garden except this one. <laughs> okay? Why would God allow one thing that they couldn't do? Because he wanted them, even in a perfect world, to trust him. They failed the test. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His answer to sin is that he sent his only son. The one he loved to be our sacrifice. Human preparation. Look what it says in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took of his young men with him, two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. There's a couple things he did there. He got up in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He went out with hands that were prepared. Those hands got, got up as he got up and he went out. He grabbed that saddle. He put that on that donkey. 
He tied the, the right knots or the buckles or however they did that in that day. His hands prepared the animal that would take the wood and the sacrifice. He split the wood. Split the wood. That would have been a... I, you know, I like splitting wood. I, I do. I, I hand split wood. And I, it's a f- good activity to kind of get some stress off you. You know, you go out there, you take it out on a piece of wood. I can't imagine splitting wood that day, that morning. Every time he'd split a piece of wood, he's thinking, that's going to be used to kill my son and burn him up. It would have been a hard job, but his hands did it. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. There he is, he's listening for God. Jesus put it this way in John 9, 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. You see, Abram was prepared and he was ready at the moment, the right, very right moment in those things. His hands were prepared. His head was prepared. Verse 4, it says, On the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. His heart, his head was prepared. You see, he knew the word of God. God had given him his revelation throughout his life and had told him his plan and had told him about the fact that somehow through Isaac, he would have descendants and his name was even changed. Abraham went from Abram Right? To Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And God gave him a new name. That was a time and place when God did that. And Abraham's head was in the right place. He knew that. I know that because look what it says there at the end of verse 5. It says, and we will come back to you. Who's the we? The we is Abraham and Isaac. Somehow, Abraham knew that Isaac was going to be there with him. Amen. Amen. He knew that. And sometimes we have to gird up the loins of our mind. That's what the New Testament says. How do you do that? With the truth of the word of God. Because when everything is dark around you and and your world is falling apart, sometimes you just have to go back to the things you know and say, God, I trust you. Because you always do right. And somehow, Lord... This is working out for a greater good to glorify you. I don't know the whys, but I trust you. His head was prepared. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's how we're to live, to walk and to live by faith. He wanted Abraham to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's the hard part. I like to walk by sight. Right? It's one thing to open up uh, your bank app and say, Okay, got enough money to pay the bills. It's another thing when you don't have enough money to pay the bills and you're going, Well, I'm not going to work with that. 
but I'm going to trust God. Right? I mean, those are, those are an area of trust. Or an area of trust of an adult child that is going off into life. And you just hope, like arrows, they are in the right direction. Right? You've hopefully propelled them in that way. Because they're a blessing. We know that. The psalm says, if you have your quiver full of them, you're greatly blessed. Right? But arrows in a quiver don't do anything. They have to be let go. And we need to propel people, disciples, others out following the Lord. And they need to walk by faith. And they're only going to learn it in those small steps when they're walking with someone else by faith. And you can't lead anybody further than your own, your own steps can take you. Verse 5, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. His heart was prepared also. His heart was prepared. <clears throat> My computer decided to crash here. So as it does it, it's going to come back up. We see here where Abraham worshipped. He worshipped. That's the heart part of us. That's the part of us that ascribes worth to something else. In this case, it was in the right direction. The worth was ascribed to God. The God who would provide. The God who would do all those things. God promised he would do that. And Abram worshipped him. We worship to get our heart right with God. And we worship to ascribe, as the actual word means, to give worth or uh, making something worthy of our affection and that's exactly what he did he's worth those things in that in hebrews chapter 11 we actually know the heart of abraham in genesis we don't but in hebrews 11 it says this by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and it says and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. So when he said in Genesis, we will come again, in his mind he already knew his son was as good as dead, but God is able to raise the dead. That's faith. And yet, the way we think through things, like if I was God, this is the way I would do it. I'd, I'd go through this and I'd have him dead and then I'd raise him back up. And that's not how God was going to do it. God was going to do it with a substitute. He was going to portray really the gospel account in, in this man's life for all of us to benefit from because he was going to provide another thing, in this case an animal, a, a ram, that would take the place of Isaac. We will come back to you. The book of Hebrews explains what was really going on in his mind. I'm thankful for that. His heart was prepared. Are your, is your heart prepared? And then thirdly, it involved full participation. It's one thing to trust God in your heart. And I mean, we do that. We, he wants us to be trusting in our minds and our hearts that way. But he also wants us to trust him by participation. You have to show up. That's life, by the way. And 
If I was to give a graduation message today, which I'm not, I'm, I'm, but it's trying to work it in, probably the best advice you could give to anybody going out and starting a career or any of those, or whatever, just launching out in life, you say, just show up. And be ready to show up. Get there on time. Get there before you need to be there. But be ready. And when the opportunity arises, right? Carpe, carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Do it. For the believer, it should be even more so. We should be anticipating what God is going to do in our life at this very moment and throughout the day. And we should be looking for that. Abraham was ready. And he was willing to participate. Verse 6 so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. <laughs> wow. It requires participation. It requires an individual kind of participation. I keep losing this for some reason. John chapter 3 that was there. We read of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus uh, comes to Jesus by night. By the way, Nicodemus is a man. He comes from the right, uh, right background, right? He's, he's Jewish. Uh, they were the people that were given the very oracles of God, the word of God. He's a Pharisee. He's actually a keeper of the law and a guardian of those things. And he would have had all that stature that was connected to him in, in this. And yet... It wasn't his background or his family or his religion or any of that that could save him. Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one or a man, right, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, individually, you have to make a decision to trust God. I can't do it for you, for you. Um, those two men, they're nameless there in Genesis. They were the two servants of Abraham. They came with him. They're not even mentioned there, but they could not do what Abraham had to do. They were there. I've heard a great message on the two men that stood by the donkey. I mean, there's a lot of, that'll preach. <laughs> because they were, they were there, they showed up too, and they had a big part of something that God was going to do. They were the first two to hear that story when Abraham came down off the mountain. Back, back up to that, though. Abraham had to do it for himself. Jesus says, except one is born again. One, that's one, all right? You cannot be saved unless you're born again. And I can't be born again for you. And you can't be born again for me. I have to trust the Lord. And by the way, he goes on to explain what the new birth is, the being born again. It is a birth from above. It is a time where when you trust Christ, that you are, go from your old life being dead in trespasses and sins, that's what occurred at your first birth, and you become born again. You're now a new creation in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you're part of His family. And that's a forever family. Oh, what a great joy that is. John 3, 16, he says this, For God so loved the world. That love was displayed first back in Genesis chapter 22. At least in part, it was, it was displayed there. When Abraham is getting to raise the knife, that's what it says. He raised the knife. 
And as he was getting ready to slay his son, the voice of God spoke, said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. It was probably the quickest here I am that any man ever said. Because <laughs> he, was, he was there, and I can just picture it. He's going to go through with it, because God says he knew he was going to go through with it. Listen, when God answered sin and evil and, and all the, the trauma that goes with that in our world, he answered it with the best. He answered it with his only begotten son. And he answered it at the cross when God the Son was suspended between heaven and earth. And he took your sin, he took my sin. And if you don't believe that, you are in the category of those who are still condemned. Because there is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to get into heaven. It's only through the substitutionary lamb. The lamb of God who takes away sin. The sin of the world. Look what he goes on to say. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever. That's whoever but it's individuals. All right, Whoever. You, 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 me, whatever. It's whoever. You put your name there. Believes in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come just to convict us of our sin and beat us over the head and say, oh, I'm so unworthy, I can't, I'm just a sinner, I have no hope. No, He said, I'll show you hope. I'll take your sin. I'll put it on myself at the cross. I will pay the price of sin, which is death. And I will give you the righteousness of God on your account. If you'll believe. If you'll believe. All that is pictured in Abraham. All of it. And at that account of the cross. Quickly we end with this. I'm not going to do much more commenting. But it says, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And I, my computer crashed there again <laughs> for some reason. Uh, and I'll, I'll quit there because it's giving me troubles. But listen, he said, I see the, the wood, see the knife, right? Where's the offering? The fire, everything, where's the offering? And he says, God will provide for himself the offering, right? And he did. He provided a lamb. He provided a ram, a male lamb, and he was caught in a thicket, that's a thorny bush, by his horns. And as they turned around, there's this animal. Where'd that come from? Listen, God ordered that. God designed that. God had that pictured. And it would be centuries later when God's lamb, and as he's identified in scripture, right? John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was a male lamb. He was taken and they planted a crown of thorns on his head. And he who was perfect and sinless was taken and put in place for he who was a sinner. And he took the wrath of God upon himself, the punishment of God. He did all of that for us. I close with that. I think the most important thing you could do today, if you haven't done this, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And take God's ram, his lamb, and be saved. 
and make him your own. Oh, I'm thankful God doesn't call us anymore. Or like he, there's really never ever a test in Scripture that was like that test. And I don't believe there'll ever be a test again because the final test really was a test of obedience that God the Son himself would go to the cross willingly dying for him. And there doesn't, you don't need to do that today. It's all been done for you and been done for me. You need only trust him. Lord, thank, we are thankful. Thankful for your salvation. Thank you for Jesus who took our place. Thank you for this account even in Genesis and, and Abraham who believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness and then later would be further tested and he would pass that test knowing that you are able to even raise the dead but even greater you're able to, to provide for the sinner. Thank you for such grace. In Jesus' name, amen.